Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello again, y'all, and welcome to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm Jeff Cranston. And here at Kitchen Table Theology, we are always trying to discover what the Scripture teaches regarding doctrine and theology, things that a lot of us believe are a little too difficult to tackle, maybe a little too hard to understand. We're trying to do this in a way, each and every podcast, in a way that is applicable to the lives we live. Now, you're wondering, if you're a regular listener, why I'm beginning the podcast, and unfortunately, our Good friend Jen is under the weather and is unable to podcast with me today. So, Jen, we send our best prayers out to you and look forward to having you back with us, hopefully, on our next podcast. Well, today we begin a brand new season, and our topic for the next five or six podcasts is going to be on the doctrine of hamartiology. Hamartiology. Any ideas <laughs> what that what that is? Maybe it's about some woman named Hamar in the Old Testament. I don't even know if there's anybody named Hamar in the Old Testament. It sounds familiar, but no, it's not about that. What could Hamar theology possibly be about? Well, it's fairly simple once you understand the first part of the word. Hamar theology is derived from the Greek word hamartia which is our word for sin. So hamartiology is the study of the doctrine or the, just plain the doctrine of sin. Now, sin is a word we hear less and less, don't we? And if and when we hear it, it's usually joked about or it's laughed off as some kind of relic from a bygone era. Now, Today's topic is pretty heavy in this next season, five or six podcasts, probably, you know, pretty heavy as we talk about sin, but we're going to endeavor to uh, end each time with the positive part of sin. You say, what's the positive part of sin? Well, the only positive part of sin I've ever been able to think of is that it puts us in a position to be recipients of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Other than that, there's nothing uh, good about it. It's, it's terrible. But the topic of sin, it kind of reminds me of a story. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure whether the story is true or not. But, you know, you never let the reality of that get in the way of a good story, right? It's about the late President Calvin Coolidge. And he returned home from church one Sunday early afternoon. And his wife had been ill or was ill. She had been unable to attend church. And when he walked in the door and got settled, she asked him about the service, and the president said it was a nice one. Mrs. Coolidge then asked about the sermon, to which he replied that it was a good one. What was it about, she asked. And the president said, well, he preached on sin. And, said Mrs. Coolidge, and the president said, well, I think he was against it. That, that does say a lot, doesn't it? You know, the very word sin, which seems to have disappeared, was once a well-known word, something that made folks sit up and take notice. It's a serious word, and just telling that joke there at the top 
don't for a moment think that I or we can take this lightly. It's it's a very serious word, but in our day and age, the word seems to have disappeared along even with any notion of sin. You just do what is right in your own eyes. You know, is that because people don't sin anymore? Does anybody still believe in sin anymore? Well, you know, it doesn't look like it, but the simple truth seems to be that the word, the very notion or concept of sin seems to be found in one of two extremes in our present-day culture. On the one hand, it is politically incorrect. It sounds so judgmental. It reeks of intolerance. On the other hand of that spectrum, and I'll talk about preachers for a moment because I am one, some preachers have it sin in every sermon, and that's not necessarily wrong, but there's a tendency among some to get on their high horse, wagging their fingers at everybody, expressing shock and dismay over the conduct of their hearers and the conduct of this world and the conduct of society and all the moral decay around it, which is, you know, it's all too evident. But we've got people calling it out at every turn, and all you hear is about sin, and you don't hear it juxtaposed against grace. Or you find that it's just people dismiss it, and they view it as intolerant and judgmental and terrible, and you could even, you know, classify it as hate speech. Now, I grew up in a church, maybe you did too, where, boy, I certainly heard a lot about it. The concept of sin certainly, though, attracts its extremes. But what do we do with it? After all, it's too real, isn't it? Sin is too real for every one of us. And the doctrine of sin, hamartiology, is one of the most fundamental doctrines in the Bible. We see it right out of the gate in Genesis chapter 3. It's real, and it affects every person who has ever lived, is alive now, or will ever live in the future. And it's real because if it's not real, then why would Jesus have come to earth? If sin's not real, why would he have gone to the cross? If sin's not real, the advent of Christ, the passion week of Christ, the crucifixion, the resurrection, none of it would make any sense. So let's begin at the beginning, and let's define what the word sin actually means. So in the Bible, several words are used to refer to sin, and the meanings we find of sin in the Old Testament are also defined, we hear the word crookedness, violence, and how about this word, fool. But the basic words in both Hebrew and Greek both mean to miss the mark. So sin is to miss the mark. The idea is not only that of missing a target, like you have a bow and arrow and you shoot it at the bullseye, and not only do you miss the bullseye, but you hit the wrong target altogether. And the target that we're seeking to hit is the will, the perfect will, the character, the perfection, the holiness of God. And to miss the mark, as Romans 3.23 reminds us, is to come short or fall short of the glory of God. And so we turn to one uh, theologian named Charles Ryrie. He was a theology professor and editor of the very popular Ryrie Study Bible. Perhaps you have one. 
And let's turn to him for how he defined sin. He said this, sin is missing the mark, badness, rebellion, iniquity, going astray, wickedness, wandering, ungodliness, crime, lawlessness, transgression, ignorance, and a falling away. Now, I don't know about you, but did he leave anything out? Good night. Another theologian, James Strong, he was a biblical scholar. He was a Methodist theologian and a professor. He was one of the guys who helped start Drew University. He's best known probably in Christian world for being the creator of the Strong's Concordance. And he defines sin this way. It's a lack of conformity to the moral law of God, either in act, disposition, or state. Now, those are great definitions. And I suppose for most of us, though, we probably get that. I don't know that we have to necessarily really struggle over a definition of sin. We understand those definitions, but we understand them more because we experience them, right? We all struggle with sin. And from what I know about it, it seems to be many layered. So let's break it down a little bit and get more specific. Let's take a quick look at four areas that will help us not only define sin, but categorize it. Maybe that will help us understand it a little bit more. So what we need to do in this podcast is set the foundation for the rest of the podcast as we study through the doctrine of hamartiology. So let's take a quick look at those four areas, and let's begin with a verse, Psalm 51.4. Now this is David speaking to God against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. See, when we sin, we sin against God. And the first thing we need to understand is that sin breaks God's standard, and that's the law. 1 John 3 says, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. That's 1 John 3, 4. Breaking God's law falls into a few categories itself. These are words you've likely heard before, but when you break God's law, there are different categories. One category is trespasses. One category is transgressions. There's another category called iniquities. And then there's one called disobedience. And while those can easily be transposed to mean much of the same thing, they each have their nuances, trespasses, transgressions, iniquities, and disobedience. Now, those four types of sin typically are known as sins of commission, sins of commission. And those are different from sins of omission. So I don't know, are those new terms to you? Let me explain. So sins of commission and sins of omission. Our friends over at gotquestions.org tell us that there are two basic ways we sin, either omission or commission. So let's define. Sins of omission are those in which we knew we should have done something good, but we refused. We knew we should have done something good, but refused. Now, we get that our understanding of that from James 4.17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So I know I should have done something good, right, but I didn't do it. I refused to do it. That's a sin of omission. A sin of commission is a sin we take action to commit, whether in thought, word, or deed. 
So there's sins of commission and sins of omission. And we just said we can define, first of all, sin is breaking God's law. Secondly, sin also means that we disobey our conscience. Let's bring Paul in here, Romans chapter 2. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts, for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. And so Paul says, even those who have never read the law of God don't know anything about the Bible. He says they know his law when they instinctively obey it, that they've never even heard it, but they know it when they are in obedience to it. And their conscience and thoughts accuse them or tell them that they're doing right, tell them that they're doing wrong. Go back into the Old Testament. When confronted by the prophet Nathan, you remember this, David knew he had sinned with Bathsheba, and he covered it up as best as he could. Now, in all likelihood, David, I really believe David had to know he'd sinned long before Nathan called him out on it. You know, if you have ever, not that you have certainly, but if, if someone has ever stolen anything or lied to anyone, you know, we all, let's just be real here, we've all done something along those lines. We all have sinned. You know, we all, at least in the initial stages, we feel a pang of guilt over that. Well, why is that? It's because God has placed in all of us the consciousness of right and wrong. And when we violate that, we are sinning. That's what Paul says in Romans 2, 14 and 15. So sin breaks God's law. Sin also means that we disobey our conscience. Thirdly, sin is failing to do what is right. It's failing to do what is right. Now, that's called what again? That's called the sins of omission. You know, I, I love the story about the Sunday school teacher who once asked her class, what are the sins of omission? And after some thought, one little fellow said, they're the sins we should have committed but didn't get around to. <laughs> I like that, but not exactly. No, he, he was wrong. Sins of omission are those we knew we should have done something good, but we did not. We refused. And those types of sins are just as sinful as sins that are committed. And, you know, maybe you're like me. I always appreciate it whenever we're dealing with topics and themes like this. If I can have some examples, I can kind of wrap my mind around it. So let me just give you some examples of what sins of omission might look like in our lives. Just a few. Failing to learn and believe Scripture, sin of omission. Failing to repay a debt, that's out of Romans 13. Failing to care for orphans and widows in distress, we're commanded to do that in James 1.20. Failure to defend the faith, failure to share the gospel. And then there's just some basic sins of omission we tend to commit, I think, all too often. We fail to honor other people, fail to serve, fail to give, fail to live at peace. All that's right out of Romans 12. How about this one? Failing to love God, failing to love your neighbor, failing to trust Christ. Those are sins of omission. Yeah, kind of sorry we got into that now, aren't you? So let's review what we've got so far in defining sin. Sin breaks God's law. Sin also means that we disobey our conscience, and then sin is failing to do what is right. And I've got one more here that will help us get our minds wrapped around that definition of sin, and it's this. 
Sin is unbelief. So to shed some light on this one, let's look at John 3, 16 to 18. Now, most of us, I'm guessing, in our kitchen table theology community, you probably know John 3, 16. Uh, it's a very well-known verse. I wonder how long it's been since you read John 3, 16, 17, 18, and, and on further. Let's begin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now let's go to 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let's hear that last part again. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Sin is unbelief. Romans 14, 23 says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So what is faith? It's belief. It's belief in God. It's trust in God. And whatever's not of faith, Paul says, is sin. When we fail to trust God in His Word, when we fail to trust the Bible, when we fail to take God at His Word, that's called sin. And that's why the Bible often commands us, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't doubt God. So sin breaks the law of God. We disobey our conscience. We fail to do what's right, and sin is unbelief. Now, there are many more tentacles to sin, but perhaps those four areas will help you get a greater grasp on what sin is. And before we begin to wrap it up today, sin, I'll just share this with you, sin doctrinally, as we study sin and its effects and so forth, it's often theologically categorized into two different classifications. There is inherited sin, and there is personal sin inherited sin, and personal sin. So what do those mean? Well, inherited sin, we hear other terms for this. Our sin nature, the old man as in the former man, pre-Christ, or you might hear the term original sin. It's also referred to as the doctrine of total depravity, the total depravity of man. And Paul explained this to us in Romans 5. He writes, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So Paul says, in other words, Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First came sin, then came death, and no one is exempt from either sin or death. That sin committed by Adam. And by the way, ladies, you're always getting the blame for Eve's sin. You know, well, she made the man do it. But note here in Romans 5, just as through one man sin entered into the world, Paul places the blame solely on Adam here. And that sin committed by Adam disturbed, broke relations with God in everything, in every way. But the extent of that disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses when he gave Moses the law. Biblically speaking, whenever the word sin in the New Testament Greek appears in the singular form, as it does here in Romans 5, it's usually speaking of the sin nature in mankind, in all of us. So 
It's the shared sin nature that all of us have. John uses it the same way when he writes, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so we call that classification inherited sin or total depravity or the sin nature. But there's also another classification, and that's called personal sin. And personal sin is exactly what you think it is. It's sin that I personally commit because of the sin nature. Scripture is so clear. It says this, Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, I did it. I am guilty. I have sinned. I can't blame it on someone else. It's all on me. So sin can be classified as personal sin and inherited sin. Let's end our podcast today with uh, some great reminders regarding sin and Jesus from the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, very famous 19th century preacher in London at the Great Tabernacle. And he said this, the Lord Jesus came to remove the penalty, power, and presence of sin. Isn't that great? Jesus came to remove the penalty, power, and presence of sin. Your sin is a condemned thing. It may kick and struggle, but it is doomed to die. The old man is not sent to the hospital to be healed, but to the cross to be crucified. Bam! <laughs> there you go, right there. So, what we're going to try to do, as I said at the top of the podcast, is every time we bring this to an end, we're going to end on rejoicing because whatever we discuss about sin, Jesus has defeated it. And it is, like Spurgeon said, it's our sins not sent to the hospital to be healed, but to the cross to be crucified. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for hanging in there with me if you've made it this long. Sure is different without Jen. Jen, yeah, I don't like this as much, so please come back soon. Get well, get well. If you got something out of this episode, please recommend our podcast to your friends and your family, and do share it on social media. Also, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. That really helps us get the word out about Kitchen Table Theology. And then you can check out today's episode notes for further information. They can be found right there where you listen to this podcast. And I invite you to head over to jeffcranston.com where you may freely access our podcast archives. And I put a lot of other resources up there to help your faith journey, like sermons. My books are there. I blog on a regular basis as well. So, and as we leave you here today, here at Kitchen Table Theology, we want to encourage you to always remember that the real power of theology is not just in knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.